Oh, our gracious Father, I am so, so thankful that as we celebrate Father's Day, Lord, really we can celebrate every day. What an amazing Father you are. A Father who has demonstrated his love by giving us your Son. And as a Father, I appreciate that more and more. I love a lot of people. I would never give my kids for them. But you loved us and you demonstrated your love by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And that is truly a great gift and we truly want to praise and honor you for that gift. I pray, Father, as we seek you in your word this morning that you would bless our time, that you would speak to us through it, that your teacher would be our guide and that we would have ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're talking about obedience. And that actually wasn't on purpose. You know, the Bible says that uh, children should obey their parents as is fitting in the Lord. It's the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you. Um, doesn't do me a whole lot of good. There's, there's one child in here who can't hear me or isn't paying attention. I think she's asleep. The other one is mine and she just doesn't care. She's 20 now, so... <laughs> My kids are great. Um, but it's interesting that our Father does call us to obedience. And I don't think there is one person here today or listening online who has any desire to allow the devil to run their lives, right? By show of hands. Anybody want Satan to be your ruler? Yeah, I didn't think so. The key to not allowing that to happen is spirit-empowered and word-directed obedience to God. So the key to not letting the enemy have influence in our lives, spirit-empowered, word-directed obedience to God. James 4, 7 through 10 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I hear this verse so often misquoted. People love to say, oh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You missed a sentence. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And nobody likes that first one. Submitting to God is another uh, way of saying obedience, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And look at the rest of that verse. If you flip there, if you didn't, that's okay. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Thanks, James. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you. Right, what is that verse telling us? We submit to God in obedience, which gives us the ability by his power and direction to resist the devil so that he must flee. And then the rest of that verse talks about separating ourselves from sin and repentance. That's how we resist the devil. Now the word there for submit is hubitaso. And it means to subordinate, to be under obedience, to be in subjection to. And that is our topic for today. So with that, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? 
Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now, we are coming to the end of the Sermon on the Plain. And if you recall the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, sorry, at the end of chapter 7, Jesus gives the same teaching. And we discussed this uh, like two months ago when we began this chapter, that it is highly likely that Jesus gave the same message on more than one occasion. When you go back to chapter 7 of Matthew in verse 24, it says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So it's the same thing, just worded a little bit differently. Uh, and what we get that is so wonderful there back in Matthew that we don't get in Luke is Jesus calling the person who he listens to his word wise and the person who does not foolish. And I, I don't know that there's a better way to explain that. So we go back to verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? So years ago, I heard a pastor friend of mine tell an amazing uh, illustration. Um, it wasn't me, it was him, uh, but I'm stealing it, right? As pastors, you can steal from other pastors, and it's not plagiarism. Did you know that? I'm going with it. Um, and basically, this illustration, he had a young man come to him for counseling. He was living in a, in a sinful relationship with, his, I think, his girlfriend. And, and basically, the, the pastor confronted him over it and said, you know, this is, this, this is not okay. The Bible says, and he quoted this verse, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things which I say? And the young man said, oh, no, I believe in Jesus. I just don't call him Lord because of that verse. Because God's dumb. And, oh, oh, that's fine. He didn't actually say it. We're good. No. If we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, then we should be doing the things which he says. If we're not doing the things which Jesus says, then we have no business calling him Lord. So, I'm going to turn back to Matthew 25, in verse 31. You are welcome to join me there. You don't have to. But you can, if you want to follow along. I promise. There it is. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Slightly different. Oh, sorry. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in naked, and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And they will answer him, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, the difference. Both groups in that teaching that Jesus gave us, both of them thought they were saved. Both of them thought they were right before God. One group was surprised that he was complimenting. The other group was surprised that he wasn't complimenting them. Oh, what, what did we do wrong? What did we do wrong? And what was the difference? Obedience. And not because I think we love, we love to come to church. Well, I go to church. That makes me obedient, right? I read the Bible. I pray. I, I haven't murdered anybody. Good for you. I haven't either. Unless you've hated somebody in your heart and Jesus said that's murder. But well, that's a different sermon. Um, but if we love him, we'll keep his commandments according to John 14, 15. And what is his commandment? Well, you go up to John 15, 12 through 14. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And what did he command us to do? To love. And what that parable shows us is when did we do this, Lord? When did we come to you when you were naked? When did we feed you? When did we do all this? And he goes, when you did it to the least of these. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about loving our enemies and praying for those who spitefully use us. We were study, we've been studying the book of Acts and we were uh, in, uh, for Sunday school and we were in 26 this morning, uh, chapter 26, and Paul is recounting his conversion. And if you remember, and it originally happened in Acts chapter 9, that God appeared, Jesus appeared to Paul while he was on the road to Damascus, knocked him on the ground, a bright light shone, it blinded him, and the voice from heaven, which is the voice of Christ, says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Who was Paul persecuting? He was persecuting the Christians. He was going after the church, and Jesus took it personally. When we love somebody, in Jesus' name, it's like loving him. He takes it personally. 
And that's not just the people that we like, the people that look like us, the people that, you know, enjoy Lord of the Rings as much as I do. Um, it's not just the people that have the same political persuasions, so on and so forth. We love others in Jesus' name because we love him. Romans 6 gives us a fun little twist to the idea of obedience. Do you not know, this is verse 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So obedience isn't a word we really like, is it? I am the type of person, and I've said this before, but I'm the type of person that when somebody tells me to do something, I want to do the exact opposite just because they told me to do it, even if I agree with them. I've had people tell me, well, you should do this. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, that's a good idea. But no, because you told me to. And I am a stubborn three-year-old. I'm the only one, right? The rest of you guys, you're so much better than me. All right. This comes, I think, partly from our individualistic culture and mindset. It comes from our rebellious nature as human beings. However, obedience to God is necessary for us as followers of Christ. And why? Not because God is some cosmic killjoy, but because he loves us and wants to protect us from the destruction of sin and because he wants us to live the life of purpose for which he created us. When we are obedient to him, it's for our good and it's for the good of those around us. Reasons why we obey God. I borrowed this from a website called Learn Religions. Don't tell anybody. But I, I came across this while I was studying, and I'm like, yep, I'm going to share that. Reasons why we obey God. And there's a decent number of them. A, Jesus calls us to obey. Do we need another reason? John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. We just talked about that. There is no other reason. I one time had a person tell me, I, I don't remember what the topic was that we were talking about, but it was something biblical and they were trying to make the case that they didn't have to do it. I'm like, but it's in the Bible. Yeah, but I don't have to do it. The Bible only talks about it once. I don't care. If God said it once, that's it. That's enough. Now, if God says it multiple times, maybe we pay a little closer attention. But if God said it once, that's enough. The fact that Jesus is the one who told us to obey his commandments, that should be enough. But there's more. B, obedience is an act of worship. Romans 12, 1, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. I love that. We get this idea, and I've said this before, but we get this idea that worship is what we did when we were singing. That's part 
of worship. That's just part of it. There's so many ways to worship God. This week, a wonderful couple in our fellowship took care of the yard. That's an act of worship. Right? This week, somebody from our fellowship came and cleaned the church. That's an act of worship. This week, most of you, well, you did something. Maybe you went to work. Maybe, I know, I got, we got a few retired folks in here, so maybe you did nothing. Good for you. As long as you did it to the glory of God. Um, right, but, but maybe you went to the store. You know, you can go to the store, you can treat somebody at the store with kindness, and that's an act of worship. Hopefully you read your Bible this week. That's an act of worship. Or prayed this week. That's an act of worship. Everything in our lives can be an act of worship. And obedience is on that list. See, God rewards our obedience. Jesus replied in Luke eleven twenty eight. But even more blessed are those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Now, some people might say, oh, well, being obedient to God in order to get a reward, isn't that selfish? No, Jesus told us that. He told us we're obedient, we'll get a reward. I like the promise. D, obedience to God demonstrates our love. 1 John 5, 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. That goes back to what we were talking about before. Our love for others demonstrates our love for him. When we love others in his name, it's like loving him. And it demonstrates, our obedience demonstrates that. Obedience to God demonstrates faith. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims God, I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did, which is a topic that's come up a few times in the last few weeks. But it demonstrates faith. Have you ever had God ask you to do something that you did not want to do? You guys are being real. It's like, nobody wants to talk about this. I'll go. God, I do it all the time. Um, there is, uh, Jesus tells a parable of two sons in the scripture. And the father comes to the first son and says to his son, son, go work in my field today. And that son says, I go, sir. But he never bothers to actually go work in his father's field. He comes to the second son and he says, son, go work in my field today. And that, that kid goes, no, nah, I don't want to. But later on, he feels guilty about telling his dad no, and he goes out and works in the field. And Jesus asked the question, which one of them obeyed their father? The one who said with great enthusiasm, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, and then never did? Or the one that whined and moaned about it, but did it anyway? That's me. That parable, it was told for me. Maybe somebody else, but that one's for me, because I do it all the time. And I don't say that because I'm proud of it. I'm just being honest because that's what I do. God will tell me, I want you to do this. <sighs> Fine. Remember, I'm a big three-year-old. But there's a lot of times when God asks us to do something that we don't understand. God asks us to speak to somebody that we're afraid to speak to. God asks us to take 
a step of faith, maybe in ministry or in a career or with our family or, or who knows what it may be. But God asks us to do that. And it's frightening sometimes. We're unsure. It makes us doubt. And we do it anyway. Not because we're brave, but because he gives us the ability to be obedient. Now, because he gives us that ability, we do have the choice to be disobedient, and that doesn't go well. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But it demonstrates our faith. F, obedience is better than sacrifice. If you remember this, uh, what I'm going to tell you, the quote here from 1 Samuel 15, 22 to 23 has a backstory. And that is the Israelites were going to go out to war. Saul was king at the time. And Samuel said, I'll meet you in one week. We'll make the sacrifices and then you go to war. Well, Samuel was running a little late. The seventh day came along. Samuel hadn't gotten there. Saul got impatient, and he made the sacrifices. And when he, right when he was done, Samuel showed up. Saul just needed to wait an hour or two. And Samuel comes up to him and says, what did you do? And Saul told him, well, you don't understand. You were running late. The men were getting nervous. We need to go to battle. So I just thought I would do it. And Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and your sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Well, you know, I have a hard time with that, but, but I go to church. Good for you. Well, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to forgive so-and-so, but I really don't want to, but I tithe this month. I don't care. And neither does he. I know, this is kind of harsh, but I'm listening to it too. Because here's the reality. God doesn't want outward religious expression if our heart is wrong. He doesn't care. Because you can show up to church, you can look pretty, and all of you look very nice today, better than me anyway. Um, and and you, can, you can, you know, sing the songs and raise your hands and drop a check in the plate, and you can do all of those things. But if your heart isn't right before God, he does not care. Obedience is better than sacrifice. The first thing we need to be obedient to is the gospel, which we'll get to in a bit. But... Obedience is so much better than sacrifice. And disobedience, letter G, leads to sin and death. Romans 5.19, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the one man's disobedience speaks of Adam. He is a federal head of humanity. And what that means is what Adam did impacted every human being that came after him. And because Adam sinned, everyone tries to blame Eve. Oh, Eve ate the apple first, or the guava, or whatever it was. Eve was deceived. She bought into a lie. Adam chose. It's different. Because of that, we inherit a sin nature. But through one man's obedience, that is Christ, 
the many will be made righteous. Now, that doesn't mean everybody gets saved, right? Everybody is a sinner because of Adam, and everybody who repents and believes in Jesus Christ will be saved. It's offered to all of humanity. What he did was sufficient to save all of humanity, but unfortunately, all of humanity will not listen. But disobedience leads to sin and death. Oh, but you don't understand. I'm under grace. Yeah, so am I. And Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everybody loves that and forgets the second half of the verse. There is no condemnation for everybody who lives in Christ Jesus, for those who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Now, I will never be condemned for my sin. Jesus took care of it on the cross. But if I do something stupid, the Holy Spirit will convict me. When I make a mistake, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, or somebody else in my life will point it out to me. And when I make that mistake, I need to repent of it. Because when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now what if I decide to stay there? Yeah, I know, it's, I, know I did this and I know it's not the best thing before God, but I'm under grace. That's like saying, you know, I know it's 80 degrees out, but the ice is probably still thick enough to walk on. Maybe it is. But it probably isn't. We do not presume upon the grace of God. Because if you go just a couple chapters back from that verse, which is Romans 8.1 to Romans chapter 6, it says, Shall we sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God knows we're not perfect. He told us in 1 John chapter 1, I just quoted verse 9, but if you go back a verse to verse 8, it says, if we, ha- if we say we have no sin, we're lying. You know, I would just dawned on me, if you read through 1 John, he calls us a liar on multiple occasions for certain things. But if we say we have no sin, we're a liar, and the truth is not in us. And so I know I'm sinful. I know I'm saved by grace, but I'm not going to pretend that I can do whatever I want and just rely on the grace of God. That is the opposite of obedience. It doesn't mean I won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean I will always obey him perfectly, and neither will you. And when we blow it, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, whoever lives, to make intercession for us, and that's why it's good news. But it doesn't change that disobedience will have consequences. They may not be eternal for those of us who are saved, they'll still come. And if you don't believe me, go read 2 Samuel. We've been studying 2 Samuel for the last, I don't know how long, it's been a while. And over and over and over again, we see David blow it, and he repents, and God forgives him, and David rejoices in that forgiveness. We're going to talk about that next week when we study Psalm 51, but the consequences are still there. H the last reason I have on the list, but we're still not done. Um, Through obedience, we experience the blessings of holy living. Psalm 119, verse 1 through 8. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. 
As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. I took that one out of the New Living Translation because I loved that last statement. Yeah, I want to keep his law. I want to walk in the holiness that was purchased for me. There's going to be times I make mistakes and I know that my father will not give up on me. If he did, at any point in time, I wouldn't be here. But I know he never will. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness, because we fear God. Now, we are made righteous by the blood of Christ. Our quote-unquote good behavior does not earn us favor with God, nor does it purchase our salvation. That was purchased for us on the cross by Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It is a gift of his grace. But as a result of our salvation, we should then be living lives that reflect that. How do we do it? We obey God by the power of his spirit and guidance of his word. Let's go back to verse 37. That's right, 37. Luke 6, 47. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So here the Lord gives us the way and another reason to obey him. The way is simple. Hear his word and put it into practice. That's the way. Hear his word, put it into practice. The why is so that we can, by his grace, withstand the storms of life. So let's look at the way. We hear his word and put it into practice. James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I like James. James could not preach in most of the churches that exist in the world today. How many churches do you go into and the preacher gets up there and says, hey, you know what? I love you all. Now lay aside your filthiness. Oh, no, I'm offended. Good. We need to be offended from time to time. So I'm just saying, you know, if James walked into, uh, he would not be invited, you know, like on TBN. He wouldn't be preaching in Joel Osteen's church. Uh, oh, no, he used a guy's name. Yes, I did. Joel Osteen is a heretic. And if you don't believe me, listen to him for about five minutes with your Bible open. You'll find out. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I've always loved this illustration because I look in the mirror and want to forget what I see. I mean, I, I, I know you guys are all beautiful and wonderful and amazing, but you're all looking at me. Come on, this isn't all that pretty. I know, my wife's going to try to disagree, but she doesn't always tell the truth. But I look in the mirror, right? And if you look in the mirror and you walk away and forget what you look like, eh, you didn't really pay attention, did you? I've done that. I've looked in the mirror and I've walked back out and my wife goes, you got a stain on your shirt. Where? But the person who looks into the Word, hears the Word of God. Maybe you hear it uh, on the radio or you hear it at church or you read it yourself or you listen to a podcast or whatever. You hear the Word and you make this mental ascent. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I understand that. But you don't put it into practice in your life. James is telling us that we're deceiving ourselves. How many times have we shared the gospel with somebody? I know this has happened to me on multiple occasions, where I will share with somebody the wonderful news that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and rose from the grave, and if they believe in him, he will give them eternal life. And they go, oh, that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing. Well, do you believe it? I believe in God. It's not what I asked. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave? Oh, well, you know, I think that's great. But I'm just not sure that I necessarily believe the way you do. It's not about what I believe. It's about what he said. And I have walked away from too many conversations with somebody who had that attitude with somebody who looked at me and said, well, yeah, I believe in God. I think I'm basically a good person. I'll probably be fine. And I warned them. Why would you gamble your eternity on probably when there is a guarantee? Now, we do that. With the gospel and salvation, that's, of course, the most important aspect. But once that, we then do that to ourselves as believers. And I know, oh gosh, I'm sorry. I should have like put band-aids at the back of the church before this. Because we look at it and the Bible says, forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you. And Jesus told us, if you do not forgive others the way I have forgiven you, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. And we will read that and go, oh, I'm forgiven, yay. What? We're told if we do not forgive others, he will not forgive us. Oh, I don't, I don't like that. You know, Roy told us, bring us, you know, bring one of your least favorite Bible verses to the next backyard barbecue. That's on my list. I want to be forgiven by the grace and mercy and love of God. And I want to be angry with other people and hate them and have vengeance upon them. Those don't work together. They are mutually exclusive. If I want to remain in his forgiveness, then I have to offer what he's given me to other people. And it's not easy, and it's not fun, but I do it. We are commanded to share the gospel. 
oh, but it makes me uncomfortable, or I'm not gifted as an evangelist, or whatever. I don't care. Neither am I. I am not an evangelist. I can do this all day. Because you guys chose to come here. You might be regretting it right now, but you still chose to come here. But walking up to a person on the street and sharing the gospel, that's not my thing. I struggle with it. And there's been times where God has asked me to do it. And there's been times where God has used it, and I was blown away. But we're asked to share the gospel. And so maybe you don't walk up to a stranger on the street. Maybe you don't get your soapbox and your bullhorn and go, you know, stand out on the corner and and yell at passersby. I honestly wouldn't recommend you do it. That's not the way our culture in Gunnison works anyway. But as you love people in Jesus' name, you're going to tell them the truth about eternity. You have to. Well, of course I believe in Jesus, but what's the big deal if I live with my girlfriend? Well, he told you not to. That's the big deal. Well, yeah, I, I want to go to heaven, but I don't need to go to church. Now, the reality is you don't need to go to church to go to heaven. There's no place in the Bible that says that, because that would be a work that earns our way. But going to church and being part of the body of Christ is commanded in Scripture. So not going to church is disobedience. I'm not saying you can't take a week off. I'm coming up on a vacation. I have a plan. One Sunday on my vacation, I am not getting out of bed. I'm just just telling you the truth. I go to church every Sunday. Um, I love being here. I love you all. But I I told my wife and I've told several other people, I'm going to have one Sunday where I don't go. Because there's never a Sunday when I don't go to church. It's just very, very rare. Um, I can't even tell you the last time it happened. I didn't even miss church during COVID. I mean, granted, it was online, but still. And I could go down the list, couldn't I? There's a lot of commandments in the Bible. Take some of the big ones, which we've talked about. You know, forgiveness, sexual immorality. What about lying? Sharing the gospel. There's so many things. Oh, but we can't keep it all. No, we can't. So rest easy. We can't. None of us will do all of this perfectly. We can't. That's what grace is for. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He lived a perfect life. Sinless and perfect obedience to his father. He died a substitutionary death, so we wouldn't have to. He rose from the grave, proving that he could conquer sin and death so that we could be forgiven. But it doesn't alleviate us of our call to live a life of obedience to our Father. We don't do it on our own. John chapter 15, Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Thanks, Lord. Love the vote of confidence, but it's true. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But in him, we can do all things. As we abide in Christ, and he abides in us by his Holy Spirit, he will empower us, he will lead us, he's given us his word to teach us so that we can. Not on our own, but because of him. And the last reason is so that we can withstand the storms of life. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen 
are eternal. I love that. Renewed day by day. According to Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In Romans 12, 2, we are, instead of conforming to this world, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we do that via the word of God. Or he does that by his spirit through the word of God. That's how that works. And this is never meant to diminish anybody's difficulties. We go through garbage. We all know that. We have bad days or bad weeks or bad months or bad years or bad decades. We've all been there. Right? But the point is not to diminish our suffering, but to give us the promise of the day when all of that will be redeemed. Because no matter what we're going through now, and I know it can get bad, it doesn't compare to what's coming. That's good news. So the final thing we're going to look at, and I'm going to do this really quick. I'm going to try, I don't want to lie to y'all, I'm going to try to do this really quick, is the word of God. Because if we're to be obedient, and what we are to be obedient to is the word of God, it's good for us to have a little bit better understanding of what the word of God is. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now the word of God is the logos or reasoning or divine expression and communication of God. It's alive, it's filled with power, it's sharp, and it's discerning. So one, Jesus is the word of God. He is the ultimate expression of who God is communicated to us. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then you can jump up to verse 14, which I didn't put in my notes, but we should always remember that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When we are told to obey the word, we are told to obey Jesus. Because he is the word. Then we have the written word of God, which is extremely useful for us in every facet of life. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I've always loved that. First, we're told that the word is inspired, right? Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, The phrase there literally means breathed out. Peter tells us that the Holy Spirit moved the hearts of men. To give us scripture. And women, by the way. Bonus question. I know of at least one woman who gets a writing credit. No, I know of two women who get a writing credit in scripture. They're both songs. Miriam and Deborah. There's your Bible trivia for the day. But it's inspired by God and it's profitable to teach us to reprove us when we go wrong, to correct us and put us back on the path, to instruct us in righteousness so we don't go off the path again so that we can be complete, which is mature, and then equipped for every good work. 
The word of God is necessary for faith. Romans 10, 17, which we already mentioned, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you share with people, share the word. He promises us that his world will not return fruitless. Now, you don't have to quote everything and have chapter and verse, but you can't tell somebody about the gospel if you don't tell them that God loved them so much that he sent his son and that his son died on the cross for their sins, right? And that's a terrible paraphrase of like eight verses, but it's still the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The word of God is necessary for us to find our way. Psalm 24, 4 through 5. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all day. And then Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is essential in keeping us from sin. Psalm 119, 11. Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word of God is eternal. Luke 21, 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. We must never, ever, 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 ever mess with God's pure word. Proverbs 30 verses 5 and 6, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And then a verse that weighs on me. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to the things to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. That's Jesus' last word to all of us in Scripture. Don't add to it, or I'm going to add to you the plagues. Don't take away from it, or I'm taking your name out of the book of life. Don't mess with this book. We read it, we study it, we memorize it, we meditate upon it, we pray over it, we apply it to our lives, we share it with others, but it's not ours to change. He wrote what's in here on purpose. We don't change it, we listen to it, and we obey it. And there's... So this week, and I don't know if any of you know about this, but the the Southern Baptist Convention, and I have many brothers that I love who are Baptist pastors, but the Southern Baptist Convention had a vote on whether or not to ordain female pastors. And they were arguing over it. And so the Babylon Bee, you know how much I love the Babylon Bee, uh, the Babylon Bee put a thing out that Southern Baptist pastors, pastors are desperate for some kind of book to tell them what they should do when it comes to ordaining female pastors. Get the joke, right? Now, you all know me. I think women have an amazing role to play in ministry. I think women should be able to teach the word. I think women should be able to lead worship. And I think women uh, should be able to do just about everything in the church. There's one thing withheld. And that's my job. And being an overseeing elder of the church. That is reserved for men. That doesn't mean women can't do everything else. It just means that one job, God said, is for men. 
You don't like it? Argue with him. I didn't write it. But it's still true. We don't change it. People today, uh, I had somebody, this was about a month and a half ago, send me a, a United uh, Methodist pastor did this half an hour teaching on why homosexuality is not a sin. Twisted scripture after scripture after scripture. Took them out of context. He did one thing. I about. I was like, I'm so glad I'm not in the room with the man. I might have hit him. He did one thing where he took a couple of words out of a passage and said, look at this Greek word. And look at this Greek word. They don't mean what everybody says they mean. But he left out a Greek word in the following sentence that means exactly what we think it means. That's messing with the word of God. I would not want to be him or anybody else who does that on Judgment Day. And because James 3.1 warns us, not many of us should become teachers because we receive the stricter judgment. That's why my sermon was what it was today. Unpleasant to listen to. Unpleasant to prepare. But it's his truth, not mine. And I'm not going to mess with it. As we close, over and over and over again, we are told to obey God's word. We are told by the Holy Spirit, through just about every human he inspired to pen scripture, we are told by Jesus himself in the Gospels, and not only are we told to obey God's word, but we are told why. We are told the benefits of obedience. We are told the consequences of disobedience, but being told to do it means nothing if we don't do it. We must be doers of the word and not hearers only, or we are deceiving ourselves. We must hear the saying of Jesus and all of Scripture and put them into practice in our lives by the power of God's Spirit at work in us. However, no one can do this for us. We must make the decision to do this ourselves as God gives us the ability. Because just like no one can do it for us, we can't actually do it ourselves. But as we walk in the power and leading of the Holy Spirit, and he empowers and enables us to obey the word, then we can live a life that honors God. A life of obedience. So I always close this way. The most important first step of obedience is obedience to the gospel. I have shared the gospel about seven different ways this morning. Here's one more. The first thing we must be obedient to is to receive Jesus as Savior, trusting in his death and resurrection to save us. And if there's anybody who has not taken that step of obedience, whether you're here, whether you're listening online or you hear this recording some other time, let us know. Make a comment. Send me an email. I don't care how you do it. Just let us know. We would love to help you know Jesus Christ. Number two, we all know where in our lives we are not obeying God. Now this is between each of us and the Lord. I don't expect anybody to stand up and tell me. Um, you don't even have to tell me after service. If you need to talk to somebody about it, please do. I'm here. Our elders are here. There's somebody sitting next to you. Talk to somebody because we're told in James chapter 5 that healing comes from confession. But if we're going to call him Lord, then obedience will be part of the fruit that is displayed. Over the last couple weeks, we talked about the honest mirror. And so I encourage each of us to take another look in the three aspects of the honest mirror that we talked about. Feel free to revisit the last two weeks' messages if you want to hear more about it. But the three aspects are look into the Word of God, 
Let the Spirit of God give you self-reflection and then the input of godly people who love us and whom we trust to help us identify any areas in our lives where we need to submit to God. And if any of you walks out of here today going, well, I'm not being disobedient anywhere, you must have been asleep because I know I am. And if anybody walks out of here today not knowing how to change that, I failed. Because God gives it all right to us in his word. Yeah. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, first I want to pray and ask for your forgiveness for all the stupid things I've done and all the stupid things I still do. Because I don't deserve your grace and I never will. But you give it anyway. And my desire is to honor your name with my life, to bring you glory through my obedience. And I know I can't do it on my own. And so I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here today that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would lead us and guide us, that you would teach us by your word and help us to walk in obedience. Knowing, Lord, that we're not going to do it well, all the time, that we're going to make mistakes and that you will, based on the promise of your word, forgive us. But Father, I would love to have to come to you less for forgiveness. And I pray for your help in that. I thank you, God, for Father's Day. I thank you that you are our Father. I thank you for all the men who work so hard to be fathers to their children and even some of the women who have to be fathers to their children because the men didn't step up. And Lord, I don't want to forget the men who have to be mothers because the women didn't step up. But whatever the case is, I just pray for your hand upon dads. Over and over and over again, research shows us that when dads are involved, the kids turn out better. Typically. I just pray, Father, for your blessing on the dads who are trying. Give them grace and strength. And for the dads who aren't trying, Father, smack them around a little bit and set them straight. Pray for a blessing on the rest of our day, the rest of our week as we go about it. In Jesus' name, amen.